Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Thanks to Raycon for supporting my podcast. Raycon wireless earbuds start at half the price of other premium audio brands. Raycon is now offering you 15% off all of their products. And here's what you've got to do to get the deal. Go to buyraycon.com slash gold. Jerome Powell made another appearance on 60 Minutes last night to reassure America that everything is great that the economy is in great shape thanks to the Fed. The Federal Reserve is on the job making sure that everything is good and that the only thing we have to fear is COVID itself. Basically, it's the virus or the virus that's coming back. That is the only threat, but no need to worry because the Fed is on the job. And I think Powell finished off the interview with a guarantee And his guarantee was that the Fed will support the economy for as long as it takes to complete the recovery. So there you have it. Don't worry. This recovery is guaranteed by Chairman Powell, chair of the Federal Reserve itself. So you can take that to the bank. We've got a government guaranteed recovery because the Fed will do everything it can to make sure we complete this recovery. The problem is the Fed doesn't actually have the power to do anything other than create inflation, which, of course, is the one thing the Federal Reserve is assuring us is not a problem and it won't happen, at least not above 2%. But the idea that the Fed can create economic growth, can create prosperity, when it boils down to it, The only thing you can do is print money. However you want to describe it, that does not create prosperity. What creates economic prosperity is savings and investment and the production that it allows. So it's a free market and capitalism that can lead to prosperity and a true economic recovery. The Fed doesn't provide any of that. All the Fed can do is temporarily create the illusion of a recovery by creating inflation. But eventually, the illusion wears off, and all that's left is the dark reality 
of stagnation and in fact worse depression which is where we're headed in fact i've been saying we're headed for an inflationary depression and that's exactly what is going to happen and again remember and i've been repeating this often but in the early stages of the 2008 financial crisis in fact before it became a crisis the federal reserve was reassuring everybody that the problems in subprime were contained. And so we had nothing to worry about. It was not going to spill over into the overall economy. And Powell made the same assurances to the nation again last night on 60 Minutes that we don't have to worry about inflation to the extent that we see a pickup. It's transitory. Inflation is not going to stay above 2% for long. In fact, Powell said that he wants to see inflation moderately above 2% for some time. He didn't quite specify what subtime actually means. He did say he just wants to make sure that inflation averages 2%. And since it's been below 2% for a few years, well, obviously we need to be above 2% in order to create an average. But Powell is assuring everybody that there is nothing to worry about. Well, inflation is every bit as transitory as subprime was contained. The Fed was wrong then, and they are even more wrong now. But let's get back to going over some of the details of this 60-minute interview. If you didn't already see it, you may want to take advantage of the fact that you can listen to it or watch it, rather, on the 60 Minutes website. But I'm basically going to pretty much surmise it for you. Uh, So you don't really have to watch it if you listen to this podcast. Now, one of the things that Powell was specifically asked about was his forecast for GDP growth for 2021. And instead of basically coming up with his own forecast, he kind of deferred to forecasts that he was reading in the private sector, many of which are very self-serving because they're written by firms that have a vested interest in you know strong economy, or at least pretending that there's a strong economy. But he referenced, uh, without naming them, forecasts of 6 to 7% GDP growth for 2021. And in fact, he indicated that the actual growth rate may be even higher than 7%. And as far as unemployment, he said he expects it to fall from its current rate of about 6%. Now, of course, that excludes all the people who are out of the labor force and are not looking for work, right? The real unemployment rate, as Powell has even noted himself, uh, is above uh, 10%. Again, look at the U6 number, which is north of 10%. But on 60 Minutes, he only referenced the 6% number and ignored uh, the, the more relevant higher number. But Powell said the forecast that he's reading, and I guess that the Fed agrees with, sees unemployment dropping to between 4 and 5% from its current 6% level. So a lot of people are going to get jobs. The unemployment rate is going to come down. And according to uh, CBS... Uh, guy was interviewing, he actually said, hey, it sounds like you're forecasting a boom. And Powell didn't use the word boom himself. His reply was, yes, I'm forecasting very strong growth. So he didn't say boom, but CBS said boom. And he didn't really say, no, 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 it's not going to be a boom. He just didn't use that word. So we're going to have an economic boom. We're going to have soaring growth. We're going to have falling unemployment, but we're not going to have any inflation. Right. And of course, one of the things that CBS never mentioned 
was all the money printing. I mean, they did talk about QE or mention QE, but they didn't focus on the money printing. They didn't focus on the budget deficits. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later in the podcast, but you can't really have a discussion of inflation without bringing up those main points of big budget deficits getting monetized by the Fed. So there wasn't even a discussion about that. So they simply talked about rising prices and didn't really discuss the factors that lead prices to go up. So they just kind of said, why aren't we going to have inflation? And of course, Powell said, well, you know, we have a new type of economy. It's different this time. We can have all this growth. We can have low unemployment, but we're not going to have the type of inflation that we've had in the past. And he specifically referenced, you know, the 1960s and the 1970s as examples that we're not going to follow. Because unlike the 60s and the 70s, we're not going to have inflation in the 2020s because we've got this new economy. And in fact, when specifically asked about why, right, what Powell said was that in this modern global economy, and of course, we've always had a global economy. I mean, maybe now it's more global than it was in the past, but we've always had trade. I mean, going back to the birth of the Republic, uh, we've been trading with other nations. In fact, we were trading with, with the Indian tribes, which were considered to be their own nations. But we've always been a trading society. And even before America, uh, there was always world trade, right? It just maybe didn't happen as rapidly. But we still had inflation. But the points that Powell was trying to make or made was that he thinks that this global competition is the reason that businesses can't raise prices. He says you can't raise prices anymore because of global competition. He also says that you can't raise wages. I guess workers can't demand higher wages because their employers will just go overseas and hire somebody cheaper. But the fact of the matter is that's not true. I mean, prices are going up. Wages are going up. I mean, certainly in nominal terms. But one thing that Powell maybe is confused on is that yes, the way globalization has offset the impact of inflation, meaning the expansion of the money supply on consumer prices, is in order to keep from raising their prices, American businesses have moved more and more of their manufacturing to foreign countries where the production costs were lower. So it was the increased reliance on foreign production that enabled U.S. businesses to offset the price increases that otherwise would have resulted from the inflation that the Federal Reserve was creating. But the result of that was huge trade deficits. It was America moving from the world's biggest creditor nation to the world's biggest debtor and for a real reduction of wages for Americans because a lot of those manufacturing jobs, in order to keep a lid on prices, were sent abroad. And so the Americans were left to do the lower paying service sector jobs. But I think that process has pretty much worked its way out. And therefore, it is no longer going to be there the way it was in decades past. In other words, we're not going to have this get out of jail free card when it comes to the impact of inflation on prices, because we're not going to see more manufacturing jobs or a lot more moved abroad because most of them have already moved abroad. And the fact of the matter is our trading partners 
already have way more U.S. Treasuries than they want, especially considering that they don't even have any yield anymore. So I think our ability to export inflation is much smaller now than it was in the past. And there's a lot more inflation that we need to export. The amount of money that the Fed is creating is far greater today than it has been in the past. And so we have to be able to export even more dollars. We have to run much bigger trade deficits in order to offset it. Now we are, we do have record trade deficits. I talked about that again on the podcast over the weekend, but they're not going to be big enough because the world is not going to support this indefinitely. In fact, I think it's going to come to an end soon. In fact, I think it's already happening and we are going to see big price increases despite globalization and wage increases too. Because what is also going to be accelerating the pressure on wages is competition with the government. Because the government is offering such sweetheart deals to people who don't go to work that in order to get a worker to give up all those unemployment benefits, businesses are going to have to pay much more to get those workers. And as a result, their customers are going to have to pay much more for the goods or services that those workers help produce or provide because it's going to cost businesses that much more money to get them on the job. So if Powell thinks that the lesson of the past decade or two is that it doesn't matter how much money we print, we're never going to see increases in prices He's sorely mistaken. And of course, all of the discussion on 60 Minutes about, you know, is there going to be inflation misses the point that we have massive inflation already. I mean, that's what's going on uh, with the Fed. That's what's happening with the money supply, the balance sheet. This is unprecedented inflation. So the real discussion is when will this inflation come back to bite Americans in a way that really hurts? Now, when it bites Americans by making their stock portfolios go up, or their house more valuable, they don't actually mind that. In fact, many people like that because they think they're a lot richer. The problem is when inflation causes your cost of living to go up, when it makes food more expensive, when it makes clothing, when it makes energy, when it makes healthcare, and all these other things that people need, that's when it's a big problem. And we're about to experience that problem in spades. In fact, Powell was specifically asked if the Fed was going to continue with its policies of the past, where it used its various models to try to predict inflation and then to act by raising interest rates before the inflation that it was forecasting actually happened, right? And and Powell's answer was no. The Fed has no intention of trying to head off inflation before it actually starts. The Fed is waiting to see a real increase in inflation before it takes any action. And what the Fed said, again, was that we want to see inflation moderately above 2% for as long as it takes to create an average inflation of 2%. And once we're satisfied that we've achieved this new average, it's only then that we are going to consider raising rates for the first time, meaning that rates are going to stay at zero until the Fed is satisfied that inflation is high enough. And of course, he was asked, well, I mean, how patient will you be, right, once uh, inflation is, you know, above 2%. And he basically said, look, you know, we've got the tools 
and we can be as patient as we need to because of this new economy that we have where we really don't have inflation. But to the extent that we ever get more inflation, if we think it's time, well, we've got the tools and we'll, you know, we'll use them and everything is going to be great. And of course, it's not a question of whether or not the Fed has the tools. The question is, will they use them? And the answer is no, they will not use them. Because in order to fight inflation, especially inflation as high as it's going to be after the Fed is finally satisfied that it's high enough, the degree to which they would have to raise interest rates, the degree to which they would have to shrink their balance sheet and you know reduce the money supply would destroy this recovery. And the Fed, again, promised to support the economy for as long as it takes to keep the recovery going. Well, that means indefinite inflation. The minute the Fed starts to fight inflation, the recovery is over and the depression begins, which means they will resist picking that fight as long as possible. But again, eventually, it's not just depression that we're going to get, but massive inflation, and we end up in an inflationary depression or hyperinflation. Of course, that topic was not discussed at all on the 60 Minutes interview. Powell was also asked in particular about um, the government's response to uh, the COVID crisis. And he talked about the CARES Act and said that, you know, it saved us, that but for the CARES Act, who knows how horrific things would have been. He said that the government single-handedly replaced everybody's lost income and that it was an act of heroism, right? This was somehow heroic. Our elected officials basically handing out a bunch of free money was heroism. I mean, there is nothing heroic about that, about bribing the voters with other people's money, about giving people a bunch of free stuff, about telling people, hey, don't worry, you don't need a job. You're not going to lose any money here. The government's going to give you everything you need. In fact, we're actually going to make it more lucrative. We're going to give you more money unemployed than you used to earn when you had a job. What is heroic about that? That is the coward's way out. Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Chews Advanced from the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beet brand for heart health support. The new Superbeats Heart Chews Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Superbeats Heart Chews Advance are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Superbeats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL. Traffic jams tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our elected officials were too afraid to level with the public or do the right thing because they were scared to death that they wouldn't get reelected. So they acted like cowards and they passed the CARES Act. And that includes President Trump, who cowardly signed the CARES Act instead of doing the right thing. We should have prioritized government spending in a crisis. We should have made the necessary cuts to government spending. Look, if people aren't working, we can't replace their incomes because when they were working, they were actually productive. They were producing goods and services. But if they're not working and they're not being productive, we just can't print new money because there's nothing to buy. You have to produce before you can consume. So what we just did is we gave people a bunch of money to go on a global shopping spree and run up our trade deficits and buy the products that were produced in other countries, most particularly in China. That was not an act of heroism. It was an act of unprecedented cowardliness. And our leaders are cowards. They are not heroes. And that also applies to the Fed and to Chairman Powell. Powell's also asked about the stock market and if it was a bubble. And basically, his response was the Fed does not have the ability to assess bubbles. So in other words, he's not saying whether or not it's a bubble because it's impossible to tell. And that is the same cowardly fallback line that Greenspan used during the dot-com bubble, which was obviously a bubble. In fact, it was obvious to Greenspan himself early on when he made his famous irrational exuberance speech. Obviously, if you think there's irrational exuberance, you think there's a bubble because that's what a bubble implies, irrational exuberance, that the prices are not rational. They're not based on real valuations, but against this exuberance In other words, a mania, a bubble. So Greenspan thought we had a bubble until the bubble got a lot bigger. Then all of a sudden he says, well, it's impossible to know. And the reason that central banks always want to say it's impossible to know there's a bubble is because they never want to admit there is one because they don't want to prick it. In fact, they are afraid that by admitting there's a bubble, that that might be the pin to prick it. So they want to deny, deny, deny. And in fact, what Greenspan said was that the best thing we can do, since we have no idea if there's a bubble, is just to clean up the mess after it pops. And of course, they don't actually clean up the mess. They make a bigger mess by blowing an even bigger bubble. But to say that you can't tell a bubble is sheer nonsense. It's easy to tell a bubble. What's impossible is to tell how big the bubble is going to get before it pops. That you can't do. But notice that there is a bubble. Sure, there are hallmark signs, classic signs when there is a bubble. And we have bubbles everywhere. It's just that they've gotten so big that a lot of people now can't see them or just assume that they'll never pop. 
But of course they will. I mean, that's what always happens. Nobody assumes their bubble's going to pop. In fact, most people, when they're in a bubble, they don't even recognize it. You don't know your own bubble, right? It's like beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Well, the same thing applies to bubbles. You don't know your own bubble. It's very easy to see somebody else's bubble, but you can never tell your own. And maybe it's because of your vantage point. It's hard to see them when you're looking out but it's much easier to see them when you're looking in. The problem is when you see them, you typically see them very early. And when you call them out, you look foolish as the bubbles that you identify get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then when they eventually pop, well, they claim that you're a stop clock. And then they go back to the, uh, uh, the belief that, well, nobody saw it coming and nobody could have predicted it. And basically that is what Powell is saying again. He is ignoring all of these signs and just saying, well, we can't even tell if there's a bubble, so why bother? In fact, another thing he's oblivious to is all of the warning signs in the economy because he was specifically asked, one of the questions was, do you see anything flashing red, right? Are you worried about anything, any, any red flags, right? And Powell's answer was, I really don't think so. Nope, nothing here. No, 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 nothing flashing red, right? I mean, what is this guy, completely colorblind? Everything is flashing red. I mean, that's all you see. It's a sea of red. Look at these massive trade deficits. Look at these massive budget deficits. Red and red. Look at the speculation in all manner of financial asset, from stocks to cryptocurrencies, you name it, there's a bubble in it, right? With the exception of gold because nobody thinks there's any bubbles and no one thinks there's any inflation. Nobody actually wants to buy anything real. They just want to chase all the hype. So you got bubbles everywhere. You got leverage through the roof. Not only the government running these huge deficits, but corporations leveraging up, individuals leveraging up. Everybody is borrowing to speculate. Yet according to the Federal Reserve, nothing to worry about. No red warning signs. What about all these good shortages? It's not just computer chips uh, that are causing shortages. There's shortages of all kinds of things. Try to buy something. Try to order something. Look how long the delays are. We're starting to see more and more shortages of goods as we're starting to see prices of goods really starting to move up. How can this not be a warning sign? Yes, the Fed could sit there and say, oh, this is just temporary. How do they know? How do they know that what we're seeing now is not just the beginning of much bigger price hikes to follow? They don't. And you know what? It doesn't even matter because they know that even if we're on the verge of an inflationary shock, massive inflation, there isn't a damn thing the Fed is prepared to do about it. So if you can't fight inflation, you may as well pretend that it doesn't exist because if you acknowledge it exists and then you refuse to fight it, that's an even bigger problem, right? Those are the cards that the Fed wants to play very tight to its vest because it doesn't want the market to know what it's holding. So it has to keep on bluffing that they're going to fight inflation if it ever rears its head. Meantime, it's already reared its head and all they're doing is ignoring and looking the other way and pretending they don't see it because they know there's nothing they can do about it. The point is when the market figures it out, when they call that bluff, uh, that's when you're really going to start to see the fireworks, particularly in uh, gold and silver. I don't know about the rest of you, but these days I'm looking at my computer screen more than ever. And whether you're an avid news junkie or just in serious need of a distraction, 
Unplugging yourself is easier said than done. One of my favorite ways to rest my eyes and still get the content that I need is by putting in my Raycon wireless earbuds and listening to some great content. And that's why I've teamed up with Raycon and recommend their wireless earbuds. You'll get 15% off your entire Raycon order at buyraycon.com gold. So whether you're catching up on your favorite news podcasts, binging on an audiobook, or powering through your workout with a pumped up playlist, a pair of Raycons in your ears can make all the difference. No dangling wires or stems to get in your way. Raycons come in a range of stylus and colors, but always with a comfortable in-ear fit for a more discreet look. And if you don't believe me, well, you can believe my seven-year-old son, Preston, who loves his Raycons and wears them all the time. And if a seven-year-old can figure out how to do it, anybody can. Raycons are built to perform anywhere and anytime with water and sweat resistant construction and Bluetooth that pairs quickly and seamlessly and with enough battery life for six hours of playtime so you can unplug and stay unplugged for a while. And the best part, Raycon makes great sound accessible to everyone with wireless earbuds starting at half the price of other premium audio brands. Raycon is now offering 15% off all their products for my listeners, and here's all you've got to do to get this deal. Just go to buyraycon.com gold. That's it. You'll get 15% off your entire Raycon order, so feel free to grab a pair and a spare. That's 15% off at buyraycon.com gold. Buyraycon.com slash gold. One last thought, though, on the Powell interview. He kept referring to, or he did refer to, this recovery as being unusual. And he's right about that. But the thing that's unusual about the recovery is that it doesn't exist. It exists in, in the imaginations of the central bankers and in Wall Street. Nothing is recovering. The economy is sicker now than it was before COVID. And the real problem isn't COVID. It's the government's cure. That's what's crippled this economy. It's all the money printing. It's all the perverse incentives and government spending. That's the risk. It's not a resurgence of COVID, although they may manufacture that as a scapegoat because as the economy rolls over, as we start to see these problems manifest in a much bigger way, what the government may do to try to find a scapegoat is, oh no, COVID's a bigger threat. We got to relock down the economy so they can blame the problems on a resurgence of COVID-19 rather than the consequences of the witch doctor cure that they employed uh, through central bank money printing and government spending. In fact, this is a good transition to another topic of government spending because they released earlier today the figures for the March budget deficit. This is just one month. And in the most recent month, March, the government deficit was $660 billion in one month. I mean, that used to be a large deficit for an entire year. And we racked that up in just one month. And of course, you know, supposedly... You know, the economy is booming, yet the deficits are still that high. In fact, a year ago in March, the deficit was $119 billion, which was still a big deficit because that would annualize out to well over a trillion dollars a year. And that was the beginning of the pandemic. 
and we had a deficit of $119 billion in March. Well, the pandemic is supposedly over. And what? The deficit this March is more than five times as big as the deficit in March 2020. Looking at spending from, I guess, the previous March, government spending rose by 160%, while tax revenues rose just 13%. So total tax revenue for March was only $268 billion. In other words, for every dollar the government collected in actual taxes in March, the government spent three and a half dollars. That's ridiculous. In fact, put another way, 70% of what the government spent, they borrowed. Only 30% of government spending was actually covered by current taxation. Now, how could that not be a red sign uh, that Biden is ignoring? In fact, he's not only ignoring it, he's enabling it. He is the instigator. He's making it possible. Because where is the government getting all this money? Well, they're getting it from the Fed. I mean, if they're not getting it directly from the Fed and that the Fed is monetizing the bonds, the only reason that anybody else is buying bonds at this price is because the Fed is in there backstopping the market. Without the Federal Reserve's commitment to open-ended QE, nobody would be buying U.S. Treasuries. So the only reason we can run a $660 billion deficit in March is because of the Fed. And it doesn't mean that we're getting $660 billion worth of government for free. The public is going to have to pay for all that government. And if they don't pay for it through official taxes, it will be paid for through unofficial taxes, i.e. inflation. The inflation tax is how this is going to be paid for because all these people who are getting all this government money, right? It's getting spent in the economy. People have this money. They're buying stuff with it. They're not producing stuff. They're just buying. They're consumers. They're not producers. So prices have to go up. In the short run, we can import things, right? So supply of goods can go up because we can rely on imports, but there's a limit to how much we can import. In fact, look at what's happening. I talked about the bottleneck at the ports. I mean, we're busting at the seams here uh, because so many products are coming into the country because our economy is too weak to actually produce them. And all we're doing is spending uh, you know, the, the, the money the Fed prints, but there's a limit to that. I mean, at some point, we're gonna hit the tipping point and the dollar is gonna collapse and prices are gonna soar. In fact, you know, a lot of people are asking me about a lot of these theories that are out there about how QE uh, isn't going to cause inflation, that the real threat is deflation, that it doesn't matter about all this money supply growth because the money's not being spent, that somehow this money is being hoarded by the banks and it's not entering the economy and so it's not going to bid up prices. And all this is a bunch of nonsense. It's just not true. I mean, first of all, it's not about QE causing inflation. Again, you have to remember that QE is by definition inflation. That's what quantitative easing is. It is inflation. The Fed is inflating the money supply, right? It is printing money to buy U.S. government bonds. That is inflation. Now, to believe that the Fed can create all this inflation but it's not going to have any impact on consumer prices. Well, that's sheer nonsense. I mean, how could that be? I mean, if in reality, the Fed could print all this money and Americans could sit home and not have jobs, but get all this money and go out and buy stuff, 
right? If there's no relation to the amount of money we print and the, the stuff that we can buy, well, then why not just give everybody a million dollars? Why not make everybody a millionaire, right? Because then we can all have everything that we want. The reality is there is a constraint. We just can't all be millionaires. I mean, there's so many, so many cars that are produced, so many houses that are built, right? There's only so much stuff to buy. And if you just shower the economy with money, everybody just can't buy new stuff. Prices have to go up to clear the market. You don't create purchasing power by printing money. You create purchasing power by producing goods and services. The money is simply the way to allocate that production, but you can't allocate what has not been produced. So if you simply add more money to the system, prices of production have to go up and now the market clears at a higher price. That's it. And if that wasn't the case, if you really could print all this money without any impact on prices, well, then just keep on going. In fact, why even have taxes at all, right? The government is now uh, collecting 70% of what it spends through uh, printing of money, through uh, debt. Why not make it 100%? Why not just eliminate all forms of taxation and just rely completely on the printing press? That's because you can't do it. Well, we can't do that and we can't do this either. Now, there are some reasons that a lot of this money printing hasn't shown up in a more dramatic way in the CPI. Of course, one reason is the CPI is rigged. And so a lot of the inflation is deliberately prevented from showing up based on the way the index is calculated. But again, a lot of it has to do with our imports and other countries exporting products to us. So a lot of the products come in and we export our inflation abroad so it gets dispersed over the entire global economy and so it's harder to see. And yes, we have had a burst of productivity uh, with computers and automation and things like that that otherwise would have been lowering prices to the benefit of everybody. And those price reductions have been eliminated by inflation. And so rather than getting the benefit of lower prices, uh, we're having to pay uh, prices that are the same or that are slightly higher, but they would have been quite a bit lower. So a lot of these factors are causing people to scratch their heads and try to figure out, oh, well, there must be something different. So why isn't all this inflation causing prices to go up? And oh, there may be some other factors at play here. And so we never have to worry about it. Look, all of this is temporary. All of this is a lag. And the fact that it is taking a longer period of time for the inflation chickens to come home to roost, all that means is we have a lot more chickens out here and it's going to be a very crowded uh, pen uh, when they all come back. Now, of course, the Biden administration doesn't want to pretend that nobody has to pay for all this government. The Biden administration wants to pretend that the rich are going to pay for it. So ultimately, he's claiming that we need to pay the bills, in particular, his new infrastructure bill. He wants to pay for that with higher taxes on the rich. I mentioned that on the podcast over the weekend, but what I didn't talk about, and I'm going to discuss now, is another plan to get more money from the rich is through auditing the hell out of them. Because last week, I think the Biden administration announced that they want to increase the budget of the IRS by another one2 billion dollars and they want to target most of that money to audits of the rich. So they want more personnel who can spend more time 
harassing the so-called rich. Now, we're supposed to be glad, right, that the rich people are finally going to have to comply with the law and pay their fair share because obviously tax evasion is rampant among the rich. And so therefore, if we just audit them, uh, you know, this is going to unleash a treasure trove of underreported income or, you know, this big windfall for the government. Of course, that's not going to happen. And the public should not be happy about empowering the IRS to go after the rich. Because you know what? After they go after the rich, they're going to go after the middle class. Because just like Willie Sutton used to say, why do you rob banks? That's where the money is. Well, that's where the money is when it comes to tax evasion. It's with the middle class, in particular, small business owners. So maybe they're upper middle class, but they're certainly not the super rich. But I think that's where a lot of the tax evasion takes place. I don't think there's a lot of evasion on the part of the rich because the rich can afford expensive accountants. And so they don't need to evade taxes. They can legally avoid taxes. And there's nothing the government can do about that. When you have rich people who are taking advantage of loopholes that are in the law and they're using those loopholes to limit their taxes, an audit is not going to yield anything from those people. It's the people who are reducing their taxes illegally. That's where the money is. And who's doing that? I mean, the really rich people, big corporations certainly aren't able to do that. I mean, they're audited uh, by accountants, third-party accountants. I mean, there's no way these corporations, right, are committing tax evasion by and large. I mean, could it, is it possible? Some, yes, but very unlikely that you're going to get that. And even in very wealthy uh, Americans, you know, the billionaires, they don't need to evade taxes. It's very easy for them to legally avoid taxes. And that's what they do. Plus, you know, the stakes are very high. You know, they're not going to roll the dice uh, and risk, you know, a big fine or going to jail. You know, they're, they're, they're paying all the taxes that they are legally obligated to pay. You know, it's uh, middle class, upper middle class, small business owners where the stakes are very high, but the payoff is worth it because in many cases, the only way they can survive is to not pay all the taxes that the IRS claims they owe. I mean, you see a lot of people, small businessmen, even a lot of individuals who have second jobs or working in the gig economy, these guys get a lot of cash. Do you think they're all reporting that cash? No, they're not. They're not reporting it. You know, a lot of times when somebody uh, offers to do some work for you, you know, if you ask them, hey, do I get a discount if I pay in cash? They always say, sure, I'll give you a discount for cash. Why are they giving you a discount for cash? Because they're not reporting it. So they actually earn more money when you pay them cash because they don't have to split it with the government. When you give them a check, when you use a credit card, then they're reporting it. But if you give them cash, they don't report anything. So there's all this unreported income. Do you think the billionaires are making a lot of money in cash? They're not making any money in cash. <laughs> How, you, you can't make billions in cash, right? If you're in a legitimate business, right? Not a drug dealer or something like that. You're operating in a legitimate business and you're a billionaire or even a multimillionaire and you're making millions of dollars a year, your customers are not paying you in cash. So you, the, the money is all there. It's all getting reported, right? So you can't hide it. It's the smaller guys that are uh, not reporting their cash or inflating their deductions. You have a small businessman and he probably puts a lot of deductions that the IRS 
in audit, the deductions wouldn't hold up. They would say, no, I disallow this, disallow this. That's a, not a legitimate business expense. That was personal. Right? A lot of that stuff's going to happen. I mean, small businessmen routinely put a lot of their business expenses or a lot of their personal expenses on their business because it's hard to tell the difference when you're accounting, right? I mean, let's say you have to paint your office. Well, hey, you know, paint my house too. Take some of the paints, go down there and I'll just charge it all to my office. You got, you know, oh, we're going to have a Christmas party. Oh, let's buy some extra alcohol, send it to my house. We're not going to use it all for the office Christmas party. There's all sorts of things, guys using their cars, guys traveling, guys going, uh, you know, entertainment, of course. I mean, all kinds of stuff gets inflated by small businessmen. I mean, they, they have to do this almost by necessity just to keep their economic necks above water. So to the extent that the IRS is going to target people for audits and those audits are actually going to bear fruit in that the audits are going to result in significantly higher taxes being paid, it's going to be uh, middle-class Americans. It's going to be small business owners in particular that are going to bear the brunt of those audits and pay the lion's share of those bills. But also what everybody overlooks, when you're talking about turning up the heat on American entrepreneurs, on small business owners, right? By tying these guys up with audits, right? That is going to make it much harder for these individuals to run their businesses because they don't have an army of accountants, right? If they audit the super rich or corporations, it doesn't matter. They got so many accountants on payroll that fine, they'll take care of it. But you get a small business guy and now you get him tied up in this protracted audit, um, that's going to take a lot of his time. Even if he has an outside accountant, uh, those accounting bills are now going to mount because now the accountants or the lawyers that you're using are going to start charging you a lot more money to deal with these IRS audits. And it's certainly going to distract you at a minimum, but also require a lot of your time to now go and get all the records or back everything up or justify this or whatever it is. But you don't want to bog down small business owners in a bunch of government payroll because to the extent that they are focused on that, they remove their focus from their businesses. So maybe their businesses suffer from that. They're not as efficient, right? Maybe they have to lay some people off. Maybe they have to raise their prices. Maybe they actually go out of business. What if by turning up the heat, maybe they find some of these small businesses and the only reason they've been able to stay in business is because they've been cheating on their taxes. And now when they have to pay all the interest and penalties, they have to go bankrupt. And now the IRS doesn't really get any money anyway because they forced the business owner into bankruptcy. But in the process, they've also forced a lot of people who had jobs on unemployment. Also, one final thought in the crypto world, because as I'm speaking, Bitcoin again has managed to get above 60,000, although again, it hasn't made much headway north of 60,000. It is running into some selling up there. But I think the catalyst for this recent move above is the impending IPO of Coinbase. Coinbase is going to be going public via a direct listing, I believe, on Wednesday. And I think a lot of the euphoria surrounding that listing has got everybody interested in all things crypto. And so Bitcoin and the other tokens are moving up. Look at the move up in Galaxy Digital Holdings, a new record high today, up just over 20%. Closed at 39.65. It's also announced uh, that it is filing for a Bitcoin ETF, 
And it joins a crowded field of people who want to offer or institutions who want to offer Bitcoin ETFs, including Fidelity. That is one of the reasons that Grayscale Trust continues to trade at a substantial discount, generally 8 to 10% to its NAV, because pretty soon, in theory, there may be several more ETFs on the market, in addition to the ones that already exist in Canada, by the way, but not in the U.S., where people will be able to buy Bitcoin if they want to through an exchange, uh, but without paying a premium. So now the people who are trapped in grayscale, if they want to get out, well, they have to do so at a big discount, except you know what? The discount is ultimately going to get a lot bigger once the price of Bitcoin really starts to drop because it's at a big discount, even though Bitcoin is near the highs. So imagine how wide that discount is going to be the next time Bitcoin crashes. And one last bit of Bitcoin propaganda, courtesy of MicroStrategy and Michael Saylor. MicroStrategy has announced that now it's not employee board members are going to be paid in Bitcoin, right? So this is supposed to focus or highlight how Bitcoin is a medium of exchange, right? Because people are going to be paid in Bitcoin. And after all, MicroStrategy has a bunch of Bitcoin, so it really would be great if they could unload this Bitcoin on their employees. But that's not actually what's happening. All that MicroStrategies is doing, if you just read behind the headline, is they will be giving their board members the option of having their dollar compensation converted into Bitcoin at the time of payment. So in other words, whatever they are owed in U.S. dollars, if they want, MicroStrategy will pay them the equivalent in Bitcoin at the moment of transfer. That is not the same thing as being paid in Bitcoin. Being paid in Bitcoin when it comes to compensation, let's say a salary, would be that the compensation is set in a quantity of Bitcoin. And then when the payments are due, you are paid that quantity of Bitcoin, regardless of what it may be worth in dollars or any other currency. But of course, nobody is going to do that because the future value, market value, because there's no real value to Bitcoin, but there is a market value, but the future value is extremely uncertain. Nobody really knows what it will be worth, if anything. And so people don't want to set future payments in Bitcoin. They don't want to do work and then not get paid what they think the work is worth. That, that's why Bitcoin is not a unit of account. And even Michael Saylor isn't using Bitcoin as a unit of account. The unit of account for these compensation packages to board members is the U.S. dollar. It's just that Bitcoin is a method of payment, not the unit of account. But you could pay people in anything. I mean, they could say, hey, we'll pay you in wheat. We'll pay you in oil. We'll pay you in pennies. I mean, how do you want to get paid, right? Once we, uh, we calculate it. Now, yes, I agree that making those Bitcoin transfers is relatively simple, right? When you're talking about a large amount of money, you can transfer some Bitcoin, especially for MicroStrategy, because they've already got all this Bitcoin. They don't have to go out and buy it. So the extent that they can, they can easily pay it to somebody if they want it. But again, that's more of a barter transaction. You basically have a board member who is willing to barter their work for Bitcoin, but they're not willing to price their work in Bitcoin. They want to price their work in dollars so they make sure they get paid adequately for their time, but they are willing to accept Bitcoin in payment through a barter transaction at the point that they get paid. Now, of course, what they do with that Bitcoin, once they get it, it's up to them. I mean, my guess would be they're not going to sell it 
because if they were going to sell it, they would just take the payment in cash. So maybe you do have some micro strategy board members who want Bitcoin, but they just don't have enough confidence in the future value of Bitcoin to have their compensation specifically denominated in Bitcoin. They still want it denominated in dollars. They're only willing to accept the payment in Bitcoin based on its market value in dollars at the time they're paid. But again, Bitcoin is not a unit of account. It is not a medium of exchange for any practical transactions. And it's certainly not a store of value because it has no value to store. So again, Bitcoin does not meet any of the criteria necessary to be currency, let alone money.